Hi, this is Jill Jarris. From September 2017 through April 2020, this podcast was known as Olympic Fever. We've since changed its name to keep the flame alive, but we're committed to keeping our back catalog available to you. So please keep the name change and this disclaimer in mind as you listen to it. Olympic is a trademark of the United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee, or USOPC. Any use of Olympic in the Olympic Fever podcast is strictly for informational and commentary purposes. The Olympic Fever podcast is not an official podcast of the USOPC. The Olympic Fever podcast is not a sponsor of the USOPC, nor is Olympic Fever associated with or endorsed by the USOPC in any way. The content of Olympic Fever podcast does not reflect the opinions, standards, views, or policies of the USOPC, and the USOPC in no way warrants that content featured in Olympic Fever is accurate. Thanks for listening, and now on to the show. What can you do with $15,000? Mesdames et messieurs, the greatest festival of our contemporary society the Olympic Games is about to begin. This is going to be close. Oh! You can do it! You can do it! Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant! But that is an Olympic champion. Ready? Hello and welcome to another episode of Olympic Fever, the podcast for Olympic fans. I am your host, Jill Jarris, joined as always by my lovely co-host, Allison Brown. Allison, hello. How are you today? Hello. I'm well. How are you doing? I'm doing great. It's another exciting week in the world of the Olympics because the bid cities for the 2026 Winter Games were announced this week. Yes, they were. Very and exciting. I was a little confused, so... All right. Well, hold on to that confusion because yeah. we'll get to it <laughs> a little later on in the show. But that was like the big excitement that made me all pumped to think about the Olympics again. But you know what else got me pumped? I don't, I'm afraid to ask. This week's guest. I because, know. She's because lovely. We are still answering questions that we had from Pyeongchang. And one of them was, why do athletes in different sports wear the uniforms that they wear? And yes. you decided to dig deep and find somebody to talk about it with. Yes. And I found Susan Sokolowski, PhD, is an associate professor and director of sports product design at the College of Design, University of Oregon. And she has over 25 years of experience in performance sporting goods, such as footwear and apparel. Dr. Sokolowski has been recognized for her achievements in design and innovation, including an award from the United States Olympic Committee. She is a graduate of the University of Minnesota, Cornell University, and the Fashion Institute of Technology. And I asked her everything I could think of about what the athletes were wearing. All right, let's take a listen. When did the idea of performance wear come into it? A lot of the technologies that we use in sport have been derived from innovation and technologies that were created for the military, first to protect, you know, soldiers in combat, and then were moved into other industries. So a lot of the changes in real, especially like fiber content, those would have happened you know, with the advent of polymer technology and chemistry. 
all those things happened around the same time as the war. So that's my that's my answer. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's part, that makes a lot of sense. So that when you're getting into the 50s and 60s, you start seeing the speed suits. Yeah, you start seeing the use of polyester. You know, and you see really from the 60s onwards how that polyester has changed from like the really heavy polyester to now like microfiber and very lightweight polyesters. Yeah, I think that's probably the most accurate thing to say. Um, it's not documented very well. One of the questions that I had sent you that we got was about skiing. You know, the alpine skiers have the tightest skin suits. Mm-hmm. And the freestyle skiers have the big, mm-hmm. loose sort of uh, roller skating kind of, you know, skateboarding style. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Where does that difference come from? Do you think? There's a couple things. So one, each of these sports has rules onto what the athlete can or cannot wear. Even jumping or super G, even though they're wearing skin suits, there's actually regulations around how tight those can be and what materials are made out of. So the first thing is rules, what's acceptable for the sport, and that goes across all sports for all Olympics. Um, I've seen rules even for b-ball for women. And then secondly, it's about the performance needs of the athletes. So aerodynamic skins are typically used for athletes that are going in a straightforward direction and not changing directions. So if you see jumping or a giant solemn, you're going straight down the hill, where if you're freestyling, you're rotating and changing your you know, location. So there's that. And then thirdly would be also aesthetic desired by the athlete and the culture of that sport. So sometimes a grade B athletes would want to be really fast, but in the 70s when they were offered a product called the Cooperall, they all rejected it because it was too tight-fitting. Would it make them faster? Would they have been more protected? Yes, but they chose in the culture not to accept it. So you, you see kind of those three things. And I know that in hockey where they've tried out long pants. Yep, long pants, um, tight-fitting jumpsuits. Even I had a student recently looking at a sport called Ace Cross, and even in that, the, the athletes he interviewed, um, so it's it's as culture as much as performance as much as aesthetics. Yeah, because it's um, what you'll find with athletes is that feeling good and the aesthetic of looking good is as important to your mental performance. In the past Olympics, there was a lot of discussion. Well, there's been a lot of discussion the last two Olympics about the United States speed skating suits. Mm-hmm. So this year, there was a lot of, I don't want to say controversy, but certainly a lot of jokes about the gray patches on the inner thighs Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and how rather unfortunate that looked. For instance, when we spoke to Erin Jackson, who was one of the speed skaters, she said, well, the performance of the suit is really good because that gray is actually a different material Mm -hmm. and it it protected them. But why didn't they make it blue? Like what... Who's who's looking at these things? So the material that's used for that area of the body is helping with cut resistance. So it's a purely performance need in the suit. And because it's cut resistance, it's made out of Kevlar. And Kevlar is very hard to dye to match. 
were all um, country colors, and there would also be minimum requirements by the manufacturer to get all those colors. So with that, they would have to, this is what the company did, is pick a consistent color they can put on all uniforms, which happened to be light gray this time, and also a color that was achievable because um, color is very difficult to control, and that's why it's that color. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Now, with the speed skating suits in Sochi, they mm-hmm. just, according to the athletes, they just failed. Mm-hmm. And where do the mistakes mm-hmm. happen? The Under Armour contract to outfit those athletes with the suit was very late in the process. And so being able to work with athletes up into the Olympics and make sure they're confident in the product, I don't believe my opinion, I don't believe that appropriately. Um, Nike used to have that contract well before Under Armour, and basically they stopped outfitting the U.S. team, and then Under Armour took over that that contract kind of later in the like in the kind of timeline as it relates to Olympics. And because of that, I think they have to get buy-in from everybody. The other thing that I've read, and this is actually reported in, I think, the New York Times even, is that there's sometimes what you'll have is like superstition of athletes where if, say, one athlete performs poorly in a product or even you can see what athletes perform as a main product, they will like build a psyche around like the good or the bad of the product. And this also, I believe, happened with this suit as well where somebody didn't place and it became like, oh, this suit is horrible because it's a really easy go to excuse and then everybody believed that the suit wasn't performing. What Under Armour did for the last this past Olympics that we just saw in Pyeongchang is that they actually outfitted the skaters with uniforms well in advance and also sent teams from Under Armour to the Olympics to work with athletes to make sure that the, everything was perfect. So I think two answers. I feel like both those answers were true mm-hmm. because of the way they approached it with this Olympics. How long does it take to develop, for example, a new speed skating suit? It really depends on how much performance change you're looking to achieve. Sometimes companies will minor, make minor evolving changes where, you know, one little thing is going to get changed for the suit. But a big time, people say, we're going to make a major change. And I've worked on, personally worked on projects where we work three to four years in advance to deliver them to the Olympics. So I think it just depends on budget, how much change you want to make with the sport and the product, and really like what can what else can you do and what is the you know the creative ideas around making that change. Does the impetus for change come more from the companies or the athletes? I would say it's a little both. I would say athletes is highly endorsed and is a gold medal potential in a sport. There tends to be a lot of emphasis around improving that product. I would say like smaller companies probably have less, you know, skin in the game because they may not have that are gonna win medals. So maybe their innovation space is much less. Some of the athletes in Bobsled pull the suits up so their calves are out. Does the company have any input into how an athlete is using its product? 
sometimes. It may also be in the rules of the sport as well. So some, like for example, at the Olympic level, there are limited brand size. So if you've ever been to an event or seen something on TV where tape is on the outfit, it's because the logo was too big and it didn't meet the legislating body um, rules around logo size. Then it comes down to specific um, companies. So maybe they're paying an athlete to show X brand and to do certain things. Or maybe it's a superstitious behavior that the athlete does when they're getting ready for their sport. So it can vary quite great how that's all happening, but those are kind of some of the things that that I would consider when I see that. How much input does an athlete have in terms of, okay, the governing body has... Usually the manufacturer that's building the new uniform will wear test the product with the athletes that are going to wear it. And it may not be every single athlete, but it will be the key marquee athletes. So the ones that are, you know, the elite level, the ones that are likely to hold they will be included in wear testing throughout the product development process to try the product and to provide comments to the manufacturer so they can make changes. You don't have too many diva moments with the athletes. A lot of these athletes, their only income is through the sponsorships they have, so they have to be careful. What were some changes that you saw this time around that were interesting to you? I'll tell you the one thing I liked, which is probably not a technical technological change, but I thought it was really fun. I really liked what Burton did with their um, snowboarding uniforms, where they were based off of old NASA suits. I thought that was really clever, mm-hmm. and they did a great job of even bringing the typography from NASA into headgear and other sort of badging and graphics. And I think if you didn't know it, it was there, you didn't notice it. But if you noticed it, it was really cool. And I thought it was, they always do like a really interesting job of bringing in learning. The Ralph Lauren heated jackets that are worn at the opening ceremonies, but that technology, we've seen that before. So that wasn't really new to me. What do you think about the blue is the fastest color theory? The fastest color is the color that technically runs fastest in a wind tunnel. And so for me, I would look at that very mechanically and aerodynamically, and I don't think that's always true. (laughs) I just couldn't imagine how it could be, but it was so many people were buying into it. Yeah, I mean, I think the other thing, I mean, saying that kind of puts others athletes from other countries at a disadvantage. So you're saying that Holland, for example, who wears orange, is less fast. Right. Well, this year the, the Dutch wore blue for that theory. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think it just depends. I mean, most of these materials are tested um, in like a base color in a wind tunnel. And maybe they decided that blue was going to be the color because of uh, like the yield they had to achieve in color, so it was like a great marketing play on that, and I've seen that before. Was there anything that you saw of the uniforms and you said, ooh, how did that get out of the lab? Whose idea was that? 
really, really curious about and skeleton and Bob's flooding and Lelouch because there was that article, I think it was one of the NBC um, articles on TV about how these athletes are getting micro concussions while they're performing their sport. And it just really surprised me that this sport is still allowing athletes All right. Well, thank you for that, Allison. That was really interesting. It's interesting that you can't really die Kevlar. Who knows? I know. I had no idea. But it, when she said it, it made perfect sense. Like, oh, of course, that's why they left it gray so that they could just use gray for every country. They wouldn't right. have to worry about matching anything. Everybody gets gray. Right. And I should have thought of that as well, because uh, my husband, Ben, has uh, a fencing jacket insert thing that's a, it's a chest protector. That's what it is. But it's not hard plastic. Like if you're a woman, you can have a hard plastic chest protector. But he's got one that's got some Kevlar in it. And it's got to be like protected from the sun kind of thing. So whenever we wash well, it, we have to hang it. Yeah, because then it, it, it uh, can lose its resistance. Huh. There's no like sunblock for Kevlar? I guess not. Huh. <laughs> See, there's still things we, in we an innovation that yet. they can work on. Kevlar SPF uh, they... thirty. <laughs> little little lotion to polish it up. <laughs> but yeah, that got me going down a small rabbit hole today of looking at what was allowed and what wasn't allowed in different sports. Did you look at any of this stuff? A little bit. And what I did come across was there was a controversy this year with the British skeleton uh, uniforms. Oh, do tell. There was some uh, question as to whether they were legal. They have ridges on them that supposedly makes them more aerodynamic. And the international uh, bobsleigh and skeleton federation declared they were legal. But Katie Ulander was one of the athletes that expressed a lot of concern about the British team, who did very well in skeleton. So they certainly uh, seem to have an advantage with those uniforms. Other equipment, clothing for the International Bobsleigh and Skeleton Federation. Training and race suits with short pants and short sleeves are not allowed. No aerodynamic elements whatsoever may be attached either outside or under the race suit. Race suits must be manufactured from an uncoated textile. And that's all they got. That's a lot of flexibility. That is a lot of flexibility. So I don't know. It's very interesting to see, you know, and did that really help? Right. I mean. Is it just like mind over matter or like, ooh, I'm going to have a different suit. So, hmm. And like you said, the interesting bit about what the IBSF rules are, you know, no short pants or short sleeves. But as you, as we noted, people would pull their pants up over their calves. Right. So what does so, short pants consist of? Is that a short pant or is that just something like, oh, it's a long pant when I need it to be. But I would prefer right. not to have that for my, my big calves. And is it like the old Catholic school kneeling rule with your uniform? If you kneel, your hem has to touch the ground. Oh, wow. I did not know that. You've never heard that? No. You didn't go to Catholic school. No. <laughs> Yeah, when you kneel, or the newer rule is the fingertip rule. Yes, I I, I am accustomed to the fingertip rule, yes. Yes, so the fingertip rule is when you put your arms at your side, your hem has to be longer than your fingertips, but the old rule 
which is longer is the kneeling rule is when you kneel, your hem has to touch the ground. Interesting. Very interesting. Hey, I know this and is we a... our skirts. Yeah. So we got around it that way. So you know, we kind of pulled up our hem, so to speak. But when the nuns would come and check, we'd unroll them. Speaking of weird rules, I, d- I don't know if I told you about this, but this was a rabbit hole I got going down last week. Did we talk about badminton? No. Oh, it's controversy in the world of badminton going on right now because they're working on new rules regarding the serve. And if you want to talk height and stuff... Yes, so the old rule was that the, I believe it's the the shuttlecock had to be, it's the shuttlecock or your your racket had to be like at your the your lowest rib. Okay, so it was an it's an underhand serve. Yes, an underhand serve that had to be no lower than your lowest rib. Well, that was really hard to judge because. They're wearing shirts. Yes, are are wearing baggy shirts, so it's really hard to tell. Oh, are they going to make them all wear belly shirts? No. (laughs) Oh, too bad. But they then said, we're going to go, okay, you can know uh, the the shuttlecock or the racket, whichever one it is, can't be any longer than 1.15 meters off the ground. So people who are very tall have to lean over. Yes, or bend over. And there's a video on YouTube of... These these very tall athletes from a European country who can't serve anymore based on this new rule, basically. So I'm all set because I'm not that much taller than one and a half meters. That is correct. So I could do an overhead serve and still be good. <laughs> so yes, it is something I want to follow because badminton is huge in a in a large portion of the world and yes and that's the only else. controversy i've heard about badminton was the whole purposely losing mm-hmm. matches mm-hmm. there's that whole issue right. of right. purposely losing matches to get a better draw because you've already advanced out of the round robin exactly to get it to get an easier uh, yes game uh, once you get the medal rounds right which was crazy yeah that was a little scary not nice. I know. Not very Olympic-like. No. So. Anyway, that was a nice tangent. So let's move on to trivia. What do you got? I got. Okay. So since we were talking about uniforms, mm-hmm. the most expensive uniform ever made was for the 2016 games. For what sport? Different than a costume. Okay, so we would rule out, like, synchronized swimming? Yes. Okay, because that's where my mind went because of crystals and stuff like that. Right. So your mind is going in the correct direction, but it's still a uniform. So it's not, like, gymnastics or rhythmic gymnastics? It It is women's gymnastics. The United States leotards were each valued at $1,200. What? Because, if you remember, they were all embellished, each of them, with over 5,000 Swarovski crystals that, because of the high-tech fabric the leotards were, had to all be applied by hand. That is crazy. Yeah, so $1,200 for a leotard. That is nuts. And I mean, sure, they look nice, but that is not... Who who footed that bill? The The gymnastics... Uh, federation 
I, I have no cares. words. I have no words. I know. You thought the skating costumes that we talked about last week were expensive. Yeah, right? Jeez Louise. This is That's even less nuts. fabric. That's right. Less fabric. I mean, can you can you think like if you can just get a leotard, let's let's go say they're like a hundred dollars normally. Right, for for, for a, a high performance tech. leotard. Yes. That is eleven hundred dollars times five. And uh, so, two, you probably have to make them for the alternates, okay, too. Yes. So you're talking and, seven. Right. And they had more than one. Remember? Because they had the team. Oh, that's right. On, and then they had the individual events. The individual that were also crystal embellished. So you're talking like $15,000. What can you do? Yes. What can you do with $15,000 to help Support your Support the entire bobsled team? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> And I mean, even in your own sport. Oh, you know, maybe investigate some sexual molesters. <laughs> Ouch. I went there. Yeah. Wow. We've been avoiding that topic. <laughs> I know. <laughs> we'll go back. Hey, now, since we're talking about technical wear. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a question for you. Okay. Oh, boy. So at Sydney 2000, Kathy Freeman okay. won gold in the 400 meters. And any unique piece of clothing. What was it? Was that the hooded unitard? Yes, it was. The green, silver, and gold hooded bobsuit. Hooded. I, re I remembered that. Yes, so it had a hood. The sleeves went down to her knuckles, and it had a little thumb hole. And then it also had stirrups, too. So that wow. was called the Nike Swift Suit. It debuted in Sydney. And they keep, like, developing this Swift technology so but and, nobody likes to wear it, it seems I like. I know. And, well, I have to, this may be another thing to investigate as we, if we look into uh, the Summer Olympics and summer uh, performance wear for different sports. Because in 2004, they also had a full body suit. But then they went back to, like, tanks and shorts. And then for 2016, they also added, for the women, they had, like, cap sleeves and then those detachable sleeves or those sleeves that aren't, Sleeves. I don't even know what they call them. The compression sleeve stuff. Oh, You know yes. what I'm talking about? So they had those yeah. as well. I mean, most of the runners that I see are sort of wearing big bikinis. You know, it's yeah. like a racer yes. uh, top and just little like boy shorts. Yes. You know, it's not even like the old days with a full tank top and a full pair of shorts. It's really very small. So it's kind of funny that Nike seems to want to go. Yeah, bodysuit, but direction. then they, yeah. they, they shrunk them back down, so it's it's another thing to look yeah. at. But did you know that that suit inspired a, a, a group from Australia to create something called the skin suit that they wore at the International Space Station? This happened in September 2015, and they were looking, they thought it might be a way to convert, uh, combat the adverse effects of weightlessness. Oh, so it would be like a compression suit. Yeah, yeah. To sort of but push be the like blood hooded, around yeah, and... Yeah. But huh. it was full body kind of thing. Yeah. It was interesting. Oh, I like that. It's like science talking to sport, sport talking back to science. Yeah, right. Very cool. So speaking of talking back. Yes. Pat Pearsall sent me an email after our show aired, and, and she did comment. We mentioned how I did not ask her what she thought when Mariah Nagasu wore the tape with her beautiful red dress at the Olympics. And she, on her own, emailed me back to tell me that she was thrilled that she had worn, that Mariah had worn the tape. Um, and what she says, and I'm going to quote her here, I love her spunk, 
and I think it is one of the qualities that allowed her to overcome that horror of 2014. She has a great sense of humor. And then she just added in, which I just love. Speaking of her eyes, she sent me a quick note. Pat, I need a dress for stars and I need it really fast. <laughs> so now she's got to produce her, uh, her tour dress. And that's why costuming is one of the most stressful jobs ever, according to Pat. I'm sure because yeah, she's got to turn that dress around really quickly. Yeah, because they're already starting. You know, we we see the pictures of a lot of the Olympic athletes already doing the Stars on Ice tour in Japan, mm -hmm. and then Stars on Ice Canada, I think, starts later in this April. Month, yes. Yeah, and then they come to the U.S. over the summer. So I don't know where Mariah is joining the um, the tour. If she's joining Canada or the United States, but. Pat Pearsall's dress will be there that she whipped up out of nothing. <laughs> Stick a few crystals there and a little bit of flesh-colored mesh and she's ready to, to go. go. I Tape, know, amazing. KT tape optional. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, the, the other big news out of the world of the Olympics is that the 2026 bid, the interest at cities committed to saying hey we're interested in the olympics so there are seven of them which is a good thing for the ioc so that they have a lot to yes. choose from what this will be whittled down to is unknown but right. so far we've got graz in austria calgary canada that was the host for uh, 1988 then uh cortina d'ampezzo uh slash milan slash turin are all joining together to put together an Italian bid. Sapporo, so Cortina was 56? Uh, I think so. Um, and then, and then Tor Torino, uh, Torino was, was 2006. Then there's Sapporo in Japan, which I believe was 1972. Two, yes. And then Stockholm, Sweden, which has only hosted the Summer Olympics. Yeah. Uh, Sion in Switzerland. And then Erzurum, Turkey. And Turkey has it again been before. Yes. Yeah, they, they been... just keep coming back. Yeah, right. Okay, so the one that conf the two that confused me, or I should say, the one that confused me and the one missing that confused me was, I had thought the Swiss had rejected. Remember, they were having that referendum. Right. Didn't they reject bidding? The Sion bid, according to Inside the Games, and this is from early February, so this could have changed. But they were going to extend the region to be uh, more, include more cantons of Switzerland. And that would be like a state or a province. Mm -hmm. And so that would include uh, Valais, Bern, Freiburg, and Obwalden, along with Sion. So maybe that makes a big, a better argument, you would might say, for, for Switzerland. Well, they're sort of spreading the wealth and spreading the cost. Right, but, but it's, it's still, not you know, going if to be... they say one government, you know, one government. Yeah, but not a single canton, so it's not a single right. city truly bearing the brunt of everything. Right. I, I want Cortina to win. You know you why? Do... Why? Yeah, because I can say Cortina. <laughs> Ciao. Welcome to Olympic Cortina. Fever. Welcome to the Cortina Olympic Fever. Whatever. I want to say that. And then the other thing that confused me was no Salt Lake City. Right, because they were on the fence for 2026 versus 2030. And they had said that they would do 2030 instead. 
Okay, so they're just waiting. They're going to wait it out. Because part okay. of that is because LA is going to do 2028. But I mean, even if you go before or after, I don't quite understand that uh, reasoning. But maybe so, maybe it's because they want to see what, what... They don't want to dump a ton of money into... Or whatever USOC money into a winter right. games. Because uh, the summer games is so much bigger. So let's... Right. Budget that out. Let's and that gives see how that comes. Right. Yeah. And then of course it gives Salt Lake City more time. They're gonna refurbish some of their existing venues, but they have so many existing venues to use anyway. So Right. We Which see. is good. Right. So this but, is gonna be the first application process that is completely under agenda twenty twenty. The the new norm. From start to finish. The new norm. And the new norm. <laughs> Which I, I keep doodling what I think the new norm might look like. Look He's like quite so a guy. <laughs> So it will be awarded, when did we, oh, September 2019. Right. So we've got like a so year and a half. That's not that long. No, and that's part of the really new norm too, is, is that they wanted to make it cheaper in a, in a shorter process. And I guess the IOC is putting more resources behind it instead of forcing the bid cities to use their resources for it. So we'll, we'll see. I don't know. So you want Cortina. Well, I would... on the one hand, I want Cortina because I just love to say Cortina, but... <laughs> Calgary would also be cool because then I could probably go. Right. Calgary is in the neighborhood. Yeah. And um, they do have facilities that are still used. Yeah. So I think they would need some updating, likely. If Salt Lake City needs updating, Calgary likely needs updating as well. Right. I would personally think Sapporo would be a long shot because of three games in a row in Asia. And, and yeah. you might go... Yeah, but look at how many games were in Europe over and over and over again. But, you know, it's a world's a bigger place. So I I don't know. Although yeah. That would be kind of cool. And especially if you had, well, by that point, you would have had three games Tokyo. in a row. You would have had, well, Tokyo was in Japan. But then you do have the interruption of Paris. So maybe they would think. Yeah, you know, but still, that's though, to go, to go Tokyo and Sapporo, so, right. you know, same country so soon, I think right. would be hard a well and, and especially yeah. like every once in a while i'll see news about tokyo and how it's just costing more and more money yeah which really that does worry me yeah so okay so what's your what's your favorite oh gosh part of me just goes canada and calgary because i'd want it close but then that that would also mean would salt lake city have a realistic chance because then you would have right. calgary la and then maybe Salt Lake City, and I would love yeah. to see Salt Lake City get it again. Um, Stockholm would be would be cool. Stockholm. I'd would like be to go cool to Sweden because it's a new. It would be a new Winter Games city. Yeah, that would be cool. A Nordic Swedes tradition. Swedes are lovely. The Swedes are lovely. That would be very cool. And also, I think Austria would be cool. I mean, Graz is kind of a smaller city, but it would be nice to have them in yeah. Austria. But, I wouldn't oh. be surprised if Sion has not an edge, but you go, well, the IOC is headquartered in Switzerland. So would right. they have, would they be excited about having a games there? But Cortina is so close right. to Switzerland. I mean, right. it's very far northern north. Northern Italy in the Alps. And... Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm rooting for Cortina. What bothers me about the Italian bid is that they would have to build the bobsled and skeleton track again really because the one they had to tear down the one in torino oh, that's right because it wasn't built properly which of course does not bode well for 
thinking about that. Not well, that, not that, that that's an, an amazing thing. It could be they learned. To... They learned yeah, from same. their mistakes. We are talking about the Italians, right? They watch it. <laughs> but but I, could I could travel on my Italian passport. So many exciting things. I know. I, I love how we're both like Turkey. Not happening. I can't imagine that that's really going to be a, a ser even a serious consideration. Right, I can't. No matter how good the bid is, it's just <sighs> where it's located ge geographically, geographically and the state of the and world political. right now. That yeah. just, ugh. I, yeah. I but I wonder, and I don't remember this from Lillehammer because we, one of the trivia questions I had asked you was was how far north Lillehammer was, mm -hmm. and and Sweden would have the same issue. I assume you would not have much daylight mm. at that time. Maybe not, but so many of the, it, it also depends on when they're going to have events because, I mean, half of the bobsled was at night and they just lit up the track. That's true. You know, they That's just, true. they can light stuff like nobody's business. But yeah, this is exciting. I, it'll be interesting to see how many of these cities stick around. I mean, we've got a year and a half to kind of follow it and yeah. uh, and see what they go. And I'm, I'm not sure that all of them will make it to the end of bidding, but. Right. Right, because if they put it to the voters, if they see, but, you know, the new norm. The new norm. Yeah, and listeners, if you've got a favorite out of these or who you think's going to win, drop us a line. Because we want to hear what you have to say. You can give us a shout at info at com. You can shout at me on Twitter at uh, fever and Allison at Allison Fever on Insta or on our Facebook page olim fever but we'd love to hear what you think about any of these cities which one you would want to see host an olympics which one you'd want to go visit if there was an olympics there but it's exciting to think that you know we're planning this far in advance i i gotta say i'm surprised they weren't going to do 2026 and 2030 at the same time but maybe well, not if they have seven, seven cities, cities. We'll they see. don't have to yeah, looks like people well, are what interested. What happens if like they get into this process and cities just drop out like flies? Shushy, just shush right there. Then we're back to the old norm, and nobody wants the old norm oh. hanging around, right? It's true. He just stays at the bar and drinks. It's just not good. Norm. <laughs> so I guess on that note, we will see you back here next week with more stories of the Olympics. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we'll talk to you next week. Stay in touch. Email us at olimfever at gmail.com. That's O-L-Y-M-Fever at gmail. You can also leave us a voicemail at 530-763-3837. That's 530-70-FEVER. We're on Twitter at olimfever, and you can join in the conversation at our Facebook group, Olympic Fever Podcast. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, keep the flame alive. Shushy. Just shush right there.